0: Back to the Macamay Middle podcast after another Sunderland league game and a third league defeat in a row, starting with that Middlesbrough defeat, followed on by a home defeat, a weird defeat to Stoke and a defeat to Leicester on Tuesday, it was. It's Wednesday now. Um, one little defeat, it's a goal from James Justin in the first half from a set piece that does end up winning the game and it's, it's, it is that game of the season that on paper and probably in in play as well, is the hardest one you can have. Obviously Leicester have won twelve of the open and thirteen. They've got a squad that should absolutely absolutely whitewash the championship. You know, lots of Premier League players in there, even Premier League winners in there, um the likes of Jamie Vardy. But, you know, we'll get on to what happened during the game, some of the things that went against us, some of the things that we could do better on. But overall, Sunderland made a decent showing of themselves despite the result.
1: We definitely did, Um and I think the reaction of the Leicester fans post-match tells you everything. Look, obviously, we know that getting plaudits from Leicester fans doesn't get us any points, but what it does is provide context for the performance, and although, I mean, look, obviously, we, I, we both agreed that we didn't think we were as bad as a lot of people thought we were at Stoke, but nevertheless, the performance still wasn't the best, whereas in this game, I felt that as stupid as it sounds, without being clinical in the final third, I thought Son's performance on the whole was actually pretty good, albeit... Yeah. Leicester, across the game, created the better chances, but I would think that, but again, if you, if anyone expecting, going into that game, expecting Leicester to not have created chances, I think probably would have been living on another planet, because if you just look at their squad, I mean, just to name a few players off the top of my head, I hear Nacho, Vardy, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harry Winks, Dewsbury Hall, uh, what is it? Mark Albrighton's another one, Ricardo Ferreira, Dakar, Vestergaard, Justin, there's, there's other players that I'm missing even out of that. That that that's a Premier League squad, that is absolutely 110, I know they lost players in the summer but they still kept a core of what the team that they have in place is so for me, the game was, I put on Twitter I thought it was a free hit and I think the reason I said that was because of the way that they've just been swiping teams aside or at least been comfortable in beating teams and I thought we gave it a go the point of the matter is I thought, some, and, and I didn't envy Tony Mowbray prior to kick-off because I felt like it's a hard thing to try and balance when do you sit back, in which case Leicester can tie you out and pick you off, or do you go or do you try and go for it? But the risk is they can pick you off on the break at pace. And I thought Sunderland in general picked the right moments when to press Leicester, went to sit off Leicester, and to generally make it a hard game. And I think and again, I think the reaction from their fans at the end of the game kind of um, demonstrated that. Um some of them have said, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> some of them have said that we were the best side they've come up against by a country distance, certainly at the King Power Stadium. And I think obviously Hull won, won there, but that's an anomaly. Like Italy, everyone else has gone there and got beat. And if, and from what a couple of Leicester fans I spoke to prior to the game said, teams haven't gone there to give them a goal. And I'd like to think we've done that.
0: Yeah. Um, but the goal was relatively early in the game, and unlike the opening goal in the Stoke game, this is. Damson we can't England. blame
1: officials for this one, can we? We
0: can't, and it's a set piece. And, you know, O'Neill's getting a lot of blame for it, which if you're just watching the game without taking any context into, then I see why. But Sunderland, rightly or wrongly, do zonal marking from set pieces, which evidently does not work because, you know, we conceded a sloppy one against Stoke, conceded another one here against Leicester. O'Neill kind of pushes Justin off him. You know, he's more focused on Vestergaard. Job's at the front post, doesn't really make any attempt to win the header, just in getting ahead of him and wins it and scores it. And especially in games like this against a team like Leicester, where they've got, you know, so much talent in defence in midfield, in the attack in the bench, and even in the stands waiting to be reintroduced into the squad, you can't be giving up such simple and easy to defend goals like that.
1: No, you can't. And I mean, I mean I'm mean, i trying hard not to mention the idea of clean sheets again, because I know people will be sick of it at this point. But a game like this, to have any chance of beating Leicester, we needed really to have not conceded. And I think, I mean, I'm just looking looking at the goal back again now. And I think you're right. I mean, all nine certainly is trying to get on the vested guard. But I think it's just the fact that James Justin has a free, basically, it's a free header in the box, isn't it? It's a free header in the six yard box. And it was one that I thought it was a very, very preventable goal from our perspective. Good from Leicester's point of view, but from that, from mine, and from Sunderland's point of view, that was one I was disappointed we conceded. I felt we should have done better with it personally. Having said that, I mean, I mean, look at look at the amount of goals Leicester have conceded themselves. You know, they've conceded, I think it's seven goals in the division this season in 13 games. Yeah. And with that in mind, that was when we needed to essentially not give them a head start and to not give them a gift wrap of a goal. So. As well as we played, that goal was very, very frustrating for me to concede.
0: We conceded a lot of set pieces last season as well, and yet the good I said good thing. It's not a good thing. But the kind of smoke screen over last season was, well, we have no one over about five foot six to defend them. So you can understand that. But you've got Ballard now, you've got obviously Mason Burster, who's I think six one, six two, you've got Job in midfield, you've got Echo, who's, you know, six foot plus. You've got the height there now you don't have that excuse that you had last season to be able to stop these set pieces. And there's also set pieces, it's crosses as well that we don't seem to deal with very well.
1: Yeah. But that in itself is, is a well. It's, that well. itself at least is something that we do certainly can do with improving on because I've always thought that, you know, obviously I'm always very nitpicky whenever we have conceded a goal. However, saying that, again last season as you said, there's there's at least factors behind it that you could maybe somewhat understand. Whereas this time we have got players with height or more players with height and even someone like um 09, yeah. who is not exactly someone who is the tallest, but is someone, I'll tell you what, he tries to win as many headers in the air as possible. So I feel like we should be doing a little bit better from set pieces in terms of these sort of goals conceded. And I will mention this. As much as I love Tony Mowbray, and I think he's done a very good job overall, I do think that is something that it seems to me defending is coaching us. how, Which is very ironic when
0: you consider what Mowbray was as a player. As yeah, a centre-back, we'd... you'd think that would be a priority to be able to especially defend set-pieces.
1: Yeah, you you would have hoped so, wouldn't you? Sorry, dogs are going on in the background for anyone who can hear that, but I don't know. Um, But yeah, I mean, as a centre-back, you would have thought that we would have been able to defend properly from set-pieces because, you know, it's one where the last couple of games, as you've said, we've conceded goals from set-pieces. I mean, we we've definitely in the last two games, we've conceded goals from set-pieces. Maybe I might be wrong, but I think the Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough's first goal was... I don't know whether that was indirectly from a set-piece, but I can't remember. Regardless, though, it is something that we definitely need to address going forward. And, you know, because if, if the problem is, the more that this happens, the more teams are going to start aiming for set-pieces against us because they know that's our weakness. And that's something that I'm hoping that the players themselves know need to improve. But sooner rather than later, we need to stop conceding silly goals in general, but particularly from set-pieces.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to go into this too much because we said we wouldn't. But And for another reason, which I'll also lead with, first of all, but suddenly I have a penalty shout in the first half, um, which we will talk about. And I don't know on the rules particularly well, but I feel like Leicester had a Stonewall penalty denied as well in the second half. I think Serkan got booked for it. A free kick was given. And I could be wrong on this, but I always thought that if... A, well, I say always... I thought that the rule had changed, so that if a foul starts outside the box, continues into the box, it's given as a penalty. Which, if that is the rule, Leicester should definitely have had a penalty, which they didn't get. But I'm not entirely sure on that one. But what I am entirely sure on is that Sunderland should have had a penalty. And one thing that gets talked about a lot is that officials shouldn't guess on decisions and not give something, unless they're 100% certain. But Daniel goes through, and I think it's face I think, face I don't know how he says name. But Leicester centre-back goes in from the challenge, and ball goes behind for a corner kick, which, first viewing, looked fine. He wasn't happy about it, because he said he didn't touch the ball, which replay showed that he didn't, because the ball goes straight out of play. the defender takes Daniel out, And the linesman, despite being told not to guess decisions, is clearly guessed at a decision and given a corner instead of a penalty when Daniel should have been awarded a very, 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 very blatant penalty at 1-0 down, which, you know, I'm not going to use this as an excuse for the game because we'll get on to what happened in the rest of it as well, which, you know, this is kind of a small factor of that. But, you know, at 1-0, you go down the box, you should get a blatant penalty and you don't. That's our three games in a row where big decisions went against us.
1: Yes, it is. And again, it's, it's incredibly hard to say this without sounding bitter. But I mean, and just for context, there was two Leicester fans I spoke to. Uh, well, sorry, at least one after the game. And even they said that the referee was absolutely abysmal. And they've been abysmal. And they've said that when they've been winning games. So it's not like, again, I will repeat this. It's, I'm getting sick of this idea that we can't criticise the when we get beat because people think it's bitter all the time, when actually there's some objective merit to it. As far as the penalty is concerned, I mean, at first glance, I didn't think it was a spot kick. Um, but I mean, obviously, I was, I wasn't, I didn't go to Leicester. I watched it in the pub. So upon seeing it first live, I didn't think it was. But then, when you actually look at it back, I think it is definitely a penalty because the other way round, Leicester would be appealing for that. Fies I think it's his name, doesn't get any anywhere near the ball. He tackles Dan Neil, brings him down, from, and there's and it's not like Dan Neil went down easily. There's enough contact there for me for it to be a stonewall penalty. And as you said, one nil, you know away at the league leaders, if we get that penalty and say we score it, the game's different because then suddenly Sunderland's tails could be up Leicester, okay, granted, might still have gone on to win the game, but Sunderland would have had a better chance then of getting something out of it because we had something to hold on to at least or something to add to to try and get in front so it's one of those where again everyone keeps going on about these decisions, even themselves out across the season well all right then, in the next three games I want us to get three wins on the basis of getting controversial match winners or something for me to believe it evens itself out because it had, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I believe that it has evened itself out. Saying that, yeah. there's a good argument that Leicester should have had at least one penalty in the in the second half. The one I'm, but we'll get onto that later on. Um, but yeah, we definitely should have had one in the first half. But it's just getting, it's getting frustrating talking about the officials. But it says something that for me it was Keith Stroud who was the referee, and I actually yeah. didn't think that was his worst game referee in us, which is, which I suppose says something about the standards of officials in the championship.
0: It does, but. Like I say, I don't think you can zoom in too much on that penalty field because outside of that, Sunderland, I think they had the most attempts in the game. Um, possession was very much 50-50 split. And like I say, the performance in general was pretty good. But performances mean nothing if you don't take chances. And defence set pieces, of course. But specifically looking at the taking chances argument, Sunderland just didn't do that at all
1: yesterday. No, we didn't. We, like, I mean, we look. Trying to look at the stats up now. We, yeah, okay, that was surprised me. But obviously, Leicester had more efforts on target. We have had more shots across the whole game. We've generally given Leicester a go, as we said before. But yeah, at some, you know, we've we've had the chances. This is the annoying thing. I mean, the chance. I know I might be getting ahead of myself a bit here, but the chance in particular that we did have, the best one for me was when I think I can't remember how the passage of play happened. But long story short, the ball bounces around the penalty box, and the keeper misses it, and Bar tries yeah. to shoot over when that should have been at one one. Absolutely should have been one-one. We had enough of the chances to score. But it's the same story. If you look at all of the, the defeats we've had this season, with the exception of Middlesbrough, every single one of them has been by one goal. And it's always been we've had the chances, we've had the chances, we've had the chances. And I'm someone who believes that if you play well enough consistently, results will come. And I think and I do stand by that. I do think we will win games again. But yeah, there does come a point where the players going forward have got to start taking their own opportunities. And people can point out the lack of a striker scoring goals, but the fact of the matter is we've scored 20 goals this season, and I'm trying to get it up now, but I'm pretty sure that is either the fourth or fifth most in the division. So it's yeah. not like we don't score any goals at all. We just need to start taking our chances more consistently. Yeah.
0: And on the topic of strikers, obviously, off started the game and came in for a lot of criticism because you know he didn't necessarily... Have too much of an influence on the game. And, you know, he is young, he's on loan from Chelsea. He's not, you know, a proven striker that's, you know, I've scored 20-30 at this level before. But the thing that I posted on Twitter was, you know, after the Ipswich game, which was obviously the first game of the season, him may started that one um after what was a very good preseason for him. I think he scored in most games that he played, if not every game that he played in preseason. I think he played the first 60 minutes of that Ipswich game. Didn't I? Don't think he did anything particularly wrong. Just didn't have mm. much of an influence on him. Was taken off, um, and don't think he started a game since. And you know, Dak was played up front over him when he was on the bench. And um, this was obviously prior to Burstow and Rus and Rusen signing. And then Burstow comes in. He's given a start. Didn't do too much. He starts the next game. Doesn't do awfully much, and you know it's it's been a strange start for strikers this season for Sunderland, which after last season is quite ironic. But the patience that has been shown with Burstow, had that been shown with Himia so far, it could be a very different story because not only is Himia our player that you know you want to see develop and you know have his value increase and and all of that, but his confidence will be absolutely shot if after one game he gets dropped. He sees Burstow doing a very similar job, you know, obviously a better work rate, um, won the penalty, with Sheffield Wednesday, but outside of that, has offered very much the same as what Hamilla did in that 60 minutes against Ipswich, and yet doesn't seem to get a sniff in the team at all.
1: But the problem is that when, with a striker in particular, you know, if you're going to get someone to try and get a goal-scoring run, you need to give them a proper running... You need yep. to give them a proper run in the team, don't you? And I do... This is, the, this is the problem, really, because I feel like, obviously, as fans, again, a lot of the time, we are way too quick to write players off and, and without giving them a proper go in the team. And I'm talking, like, over a couple of months, starting consistently and letting them see if they can improve or not. Burstow obviously hasn't done all that much. I do think some of Burstall's movements actually been pretty good, but I think the problem is and that maybe it's an issue thing that Hamir probably will have as well is that we seem to have adapted so much without playing a forwards that we don't know how to readapt to play with a striker and over the over the course of the season and long term we're going to have to readapt to playing with a striker mm-hmm. so with Hamir, the one thing i will say with tony Mowbray, and again i'm not saying he should be sacked or anything because i think that would be ludicrous at this stage but obviously if we continue to lose games then that might be that that conversation will change But as of right now, I think it's ludicrous. But one thing he does do that I've started to point out is consistently he has mourned and bemoaned the lack of a striker. And to me, he doesn't seem to be getting the best out of the strikers that we do have. And so for me, you can't complain about not having a forward. And then when we do get them, you barely use them. And I feel like it's times we seem to be more reluctant to play with a striker and just go to playing without a striker, which, again, is... It's one where I feel for him here because, as you said, his confidence is going to be completely shot to bits. He's not going to have any self confidence whatsoever and he's not getting a consistent run in the team. And how are you supposed to get better if you're not getting a run out in the side, a proper run out? But at the same time, it, it also might be a system or a setup thing because we need to start adapting to playing with a striker again. And when we get the ball, we need to. St- the problem is we keep putting crosses into the box sometimes when there's no one to hit, there's no focal point to actually hit. Yeah. Um, and, and another player I felt sorry for Was the likes of Pritchard yesterday Because he came on, which I wanted But I didn't want that to come at the expense of Burstow coming off Because he's better when there's a striker For in front of him to try and aim for And as a result, when you don't have a striker It's a waste for Pritchard Because it, it just wastes his game So I think Mowbray does deserve a bit of criticism For the way he's handling the strikers You know, if he, he can say, well, he might, maybe he doesn't trust them But at the same time, again, for me You can't complain about not having a forward And then barely use any of them Russian, there's another one People can argue he's more of a winger, but he's signed as a striker mainly, or at least he was initially signed as a striker. So why is he not getting played through the centre? At least gave him a bit of a run-out. So it's not an easy conundrum to solve, but it's definitely one that needs to solve in one way or another.
0: It does. And the only other thing that I would mention is the subs in that game were
1: were questionable.
0: You've got, you know, we made, well, we made five subs in the game, if you want to include a last 60-second introduction for him here after Daniel and Adam Cramp but we were 1-0 down when we made the first sub and the second and third and the fourth and three of the four subs that we made initially were midfielders Um, Pritchard, Abdullah Bar and Rigg came on and the other sub was Sirkin for Huggins which when you're chasing a game you haven't really done awfully much in the final third and when you have done it it's been lacking a finisher to then Take a striker off for another creator just seems crazy. You know, you've got. I, I get that Vucin hasn't had all the time in the world to you know settle in, and um, and again, I know Hemi hasn't set the world alight. But you know, in a game that you're one nil down, and you know you're getting the ball in the box, you're getting the ball in the six yard area, and, and you're creating chances. Maybe I'm mental for thinking this, but having someone that could potentially finish one of them chances could prove to be quite important
1: well yeah because if you have someone on there who can give us a better chance of creating chance of uh, scoring and finishing the chances is the difference between losing a game and getting a point, or it could be the difference between drawing a game and getting three points so no it probably isn't crazy I mean like I said I think the substitutions yesterday were quite questionable I mean not necessarily the players who came on but it's more or less the players who took off because then like I said before You bring Pritchard on, but then you took Burstow off, which means it wastes Pritchard's game. And effectively, you might be down to 10 men. And that sounds harsh. And it's not Pritchard's fault. That's the fault of Mowbray for not bringing another striker on. Or even if you took Burstow off and bring Russian on and play him up top, you can say, well, he hasn't had much time to settle in. And I do get that. And I do agree with it because he arrived very, very late in the window. But, you know, at some point, these guys are going to have to start playing because... You know, if we're gonna view these some of these guys will be viewed as replacements for when we sell players. So eventually we need to we need to start using them. You know, and you know, I'm I'm trying very hard not to repeat myself, but it's quite difficult when it's the similar sort of issue here. So yeah, the substitutions were particularly questionable to me. And it's one where again, I like Mowbray a lot, but there's things you can certainly criticize him for that I think are probably holding us back. And this issue around the strikers is definitely one of them.
0: Yeah, well, it finished 1-0, of course. And like I said, it's three defeats in a row for Sunderland. I think that took us down to ninth uh, in the table, I think it was. Um, Which, again, you know, it's still at that early stage of the season where being ninth or being fourth or third doesn't really matter too much when there's like three or four points between it. But it's not a great look to have lost three on the bounce. You then got a, I think it's a home game against Norwich on Saturday, which is now probably a must-win game because losing four games in a row in a season where you are chasing promotion, whether that be automatic mic or playoffs, is not a good look.
1: Well, no, it's not because I do stand by that. I think it is way too early in the season to say, you know, the season's a write-off or anything. But yeah, there does come a point where we do have to start breaking this duck. And um, here's some context for you, for anyone who might want to listen. I think people will find this interesting. There's a chap on Twitter who I follow called Connor Southwell, who's a Norwich journalist, and I want to read this out because I think people will find this interesting. He says, Norwich have given up 82 shots in the last four matches. They have the second worst XG against in the championship. A lot of context needed around those numbers, but that is incredibly concerning. Swansea, 23 shots. Coventry, 21 shots. Leeds, 19 shots. Middlesbrough, 19 shots. That's the shots they've conceded over the course of the last four games. Only QPR have a worst XG against than Norwich. That matches the eye test as well. They are conceding good chances so regularly. So in yeah. some senses, and the reason I read that out is because Sunderland, I think over the last two games, have definitely created enough chances to warrant getting points from both games. It's just a matter of we've given up a goal, a silly goal to the opposition. Okay, one of them was a handball against Stoke, but we haven't finished our chances off. Now, I say that because Stoke, we know how Alex Neil sets up. He's generally probably defensively quite a sound manager in the grand scheme of things, or he feels it against us. Leicester, best team in the league by a country distance. Maybe Leeds is the only other team that can match them quality-wise. But with Norwich, this is a team that apparently have got a slow back four, have got next to no momentum, have got low confidence, are conceding shots, good chances left, right and centre. So announce Norwich win 1-0. But regardless, this is probably the best time we can to play Norwich, assuming they don't get rid of David Wagner in the next couple of days. But This is one where if we're really wanting to be pushing back in at the top six again with the rate Norwich are at the minute, we've got, I I hate saying stuff like this, but we've got to be beating them, unfortunately. And I do think we will create chances against Norwich. It's just a matter of whether we can take them and not give anything daft away. Yeah.
0: Well, prediction for that game if you had to go with one.
1: All right. I'm done with reverse psychology. Um, I think we'll win. I think we'll win, but I'm mainly basing that on Norwich's lack of confidence at the minute. But i 2 1 Erp Sunderland. We never seem yeah. to keep a clean sheet at the minute, and we'll probably end up giving something silly away. Gabriel Sarah and Jonathan Roe for Norwich do worry me. I think they're both very, very good options, but the fact they don't have Ashley Barnes and Josh Sargent for this game, I think, gives me a bit more confidence that we'll beat them. So fingers crossed I'm right anyway, because we definitely could do with getting a win.
0: Good. And I say that's on Saturday. We'll get a podcast out at some point over the weekend to talk about what happens in that game, and then a brief look ahead to the next game after that one as well. But until then, we'll see you later.
1: That's all, folks.